0: Over in Canada and catching up with Connor. How's he doing? He's doing well. Good. Um, you can ask Alex more about that later on, uh-huh. friends. Um, have um... <laughs> I didn't mean to say anything by that? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just. Oh, all right. I'll stop. Just dig myself in further in a hole. Okay. Um, hey, if you're new with us today, my name's Graham. I'm the minister here. If you don't know that. Um, we're starting a new series from Philippians. Now, if you don't have a Bible in front of you, it, this, this is going to be a good chance right now, if you'd like, to go and grab a Bible. If you want to get up and go and get one. While you do that, I'll, I'll tell you a story about my holidays. How's that? Kill some time. Um, so I went, first week of the holidays, went camping at Crescent Head. It was surprisingly cold at Crescent Head. We had like th- two or three degrees in the morning. How about that? Um, there was a frost one morning. Um, not where we exactly where were staying, but nearby. The second week, I holidayed on my own which I'd never done before. i tried before but failed miserably. i tried before I'd have two or three days on my own and then I came home after the first day because I was lonely. Um, this day, this time I lasted like six days. It was pretty amazing. So I did a lot of surfing, um, a lot of eating, a lot of sleeping and, and um, a lot of reading my Bible, a lot of reading Philippians. I just read Philippians I think about 12 times. I encourage you to do the same, at least once. Um, so read Philippians over and over again. Uh, it, it's a great letter, and it's pretty short, so it's easy to do. The other thing about my holidays too, I had an opportunity to um, surf pretty close with sharks. It's good fun. So uh, walking down, I surfed one point at Scott's Head in the morning, and then I went for a run along the beach. And um, that afternoon, and lo and behold, there were some sharks, or at least there was one. I know there was one shark because I know that it wasn't a dolphin. Um, it was thrashing around, it was pretty big, was about as big as the table, I reckon, that in front there. And So I watched it for a while with another bloke and, um, and I thought, what do you do? So I just kept on running and came back again. But I decided, I thought, oh, should I go surfing the, that afternoon again after seeing a shark? Of course you do, the numbers are with you. you know? There's like 20, 20 people in the water, what are the chances? One in 20, too easy. <laughs> so I went with it and I surfed in the afternoon too, so it was good fun. Um, there were good waves, so you had to take that risk. Anyway, so only twice I've seen sharks surfing, that was another time. Okay, well how about I pray for us and um, uh, then we'll, uh, we'll get stuck in these first 11 verses, which is an introduction to this letter. Father, we thank you that you are with us today. We thank you, Lord, that you speak to us. You don't leave us in the dark. Uh, because of the truth about Jesus, we, um, we can know, Lord, that you are alive today and with us and speaking to us. Lord, help us to listen carefully. Help us to put into practice your words as we think particularly about prayer and we think about relationships as well. So, uh, thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, I want you to picture this for a moment. So, it's 62 AD, prison cell in Rome, and Paul is there on his own. Now, picture that as best you can. It's not pretty. And then Paul writes. He writes to a church, a church he longs to see, a church that began with his preaching, a church that he loves, a church at Philippi. There's Philippi there. Now only recently Paul had received news from the Christians at Philippi from a visitor, a co-worker, a guy called Epaphroditus. There's a new baby name for you if you're having a baby soon. Um, and uh, <laughs> Apaphroditus Epaphroditus, sorry Kim, uh, that's not a bad suggestion, I reckon. Epaphroditus is, um, so he's a co-worker of Paul and he comes and visits Paul in Rome. Now this is the way it worked too, by the way. You see, I don't know if, you've, if you, uh, you might have heard um, how... Prisons work in Indonesia, particularly in Bali. What, 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 the only way the prisoners survive is by the gifts and support that they get from friends and family. They don't get given food on a little plate that's slid under the door at night or something. or well, Nothing like that. That's, and that was the same in Paul's day. The only way it would work is that Paul's friends or co-workers or family even um, would support him. Epaphroditus was one of those people. The church at Philippi was one of those groups of people. And Epaphroditus came and visited Paul, spent some time with him and gave him great news about the love and faithfulness of the people at Philippi and how they're going as a church. But he also brought with him gifts and a bit of money as well as far as we can understand uh, to uh, Paul sitting in that jail cell. So Paul wants to be back there. He wants to see them again. And there's an emotional side to this letter, which is very, uh, which is wonderful, really. He wants to reassure them. He wants them to tell them to keep going as followers of Jesus. But also to watch out for people who distort the message of Jesus, those who wanted to make up stories about Jesus. He wants them to keep the main game the main game. That is, don't lose sight of the gospel. The good news that in Jesus, God is reconciling us to Him. That's the gospel, isn't it? The good news that Jesus died on the cross for us to be reconciled, and made right to God. And Paul says to the church of Philippi, then, particularly in this first 11 verses, he says, be gospel centered. And that's a funny sort of word, really. It's actually not a biblical phrase. You won't find gospel centeredness in the Bible. It's one of those fashionable sort of trendy Christian phrases you might hear of gospel-centred preaching, gospel-centred teaching, gospel-centred parenting, um, gospel-centred schooling, all those sort of things. What does it mean? I think it's actually helpful today for this passage particularly. What does it mean to be gospel-centred? Well, let's think about it this way. Think about it when we might call someone self-centred. Maybe someone's called, said that to you, you're being self-centred. Not a very nice thing to be told, is it? Now, we don't mean that all they think about directly is themselves. So they also think about what to eat. They think about what to wear, how to, I don't know, how to conclude an email. Who knows? They think about lots of different things. Uh, But self informs all these other decisions. So a self-centred person passes all he does and thinks through the filter of self That's what a self-centred person does. Self-trumps everything else and orders all other loves accordingly. Now, in a similar way, to be gospel-centred does not mean that social action, material, uh, sorry, marital and sexual matters, ethical issues, political agendas, our jobs, our diet, and all the rest of daily life are irrelevant. No, no. It means all of life is viewed through the light of the gospel. Everything passes through the filter of the gospel. That's what it means to be gospel centred. Jesus what Jesus has done and is doing to restore the universe trumps everything else and orders everything else accordingly. Now God wants his church, wants his church at Philippi, or wanted his church at Philippi, God wants his church at Robertson and Burrowing to be gospel centred. Uh, today, we read in Paul's introduction to his letter to this church two aspects of gospel-centeredness. One is in our relationships, and the other one is in our prayers. And we get two good examples here in Philippians 1, 1-11. The gospel impacts and shapes both. And over the coming weeks, we're going to see how, and uh, more so as we delve into, dive into this letter. I guess when we talk about gospel-centeredness, no, centeredness, what we're really talking about is priorities, I, I think. A lot of life is like that, isn't it? Working out our priorities, what's important, what isn't important, what really matters. That's what priorities mean, isn't it? It's fair to say if you could know a person's priorities, you'd know the person. Isn't that fair? If you know their priorities, I think you'd know the person. As you get to know what matters to them, what matters more and what matters less, then you really know that person. Because what matters to me is the measure of my character. I think that's fair enough to say. Okay, well, more on that in a few minutes' time. So, Bible's open to Philippians chapter 1. Um, and let's pick things up from verse 3. It's our first little sort of heading on your outline there. If you've got your bulletin, you can see the outline and follow along. Uh, gospel-centered relationships, verses 3 to 8. Paul mentions three grounds for thanksgiving. But notice first up that Paul's prayers and what he thanks God for gives perspective doesn't it you see priorities the things that Paul prays for and the things that Paul's thankful for that tells us about what the apostles priorities are in life so Paul's grounds for thanksgiving verse 3 I thank my God every time I remember you so here's the first grounds of thanksgiving his remembrance of them that is and we're going to see this more and more in the coming weeks but that's their faithfulness to the gospel to Jesus their generosity inspired by God's generosity. Uh, their gifts, their friendship, all those things together. So he, every time he remembers them, he gives thanks for them. Another grounds for thanksgiving is their partnership in the gospel, verses 4 and 5. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now that word joy pops up quite a bit in this letter. It's a joyful letter. Uh, Rejoice pops up as well, uh, now, to any, if, you, if you're reading this for the first time, maybe and if you're somebody not sure about Jesus and you're maybe not, you're not a Christian and not, a, not someone who follows Jesus, you're probably reading this and thinking, hang on, this guy's writing this letter. He's in a Roman cell sitting on his own in the darkness almost. Uh, not very well fed, not comfortable at all. And he's talking about joy. How does that work? That doesn't make sense at all, does it? But to us who know Jesus... We know there's a real joy in knowing Jesus, even though we might get a bit of pushback, even though we might get left out, even though we might get ridiculed, abused for our faith. Again, more in the coming weeks. But let's think about this word partnership in verse 4, which Paul thanks God for in the Philippians. The word for partnership is the same word in the Greek word that's often translated fellowship now when we think of fellowship, when Christians think of fellowship, that term, we tend to think of scones and, um, and <laughs> cake and uh, tea, you know, we might get some after the service, that'd be lovely, I'd look forward to that. Um, or perhaps we think it's some sort of special word for the warm friendship amongst Christians, fellowship, or even like some, you know, Lord of the Rings movie, isn't there a Lord of the Rings movie called The Fellowship of the Ring? There is, isn't there? So we, we start to think, ah, maybe it's like that, well it's not, is it? No, it's, a lot, it's much more significant than those things. It's actually best explained in a first century context. So let me give this a go. So when such a partnership or fellowship was spoken of, the word commonly had financial overtones. So if Maximus and Fabius uh, decided to buy a workshop to start a business making chariots, they have entered into a partnership or a fellowship, okay? Both Maximus and Fabius have put their savings into the business. Now they have a shared vision that will put their fledgling company on its feet, a self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. And Fabius is very excited about that. Um, It sounds a bit like marketing guru stuff, doesn't it? A self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. Now, Christian fellowship then, Christian partnership, is the same thing. It's a self-sacrificing conformity to the gospel. And that's what Paul thanks God for. And it gives him great joy that they've rolled up their sleeves and they've got involved with the advance of the gospel. They've just sat in their hands, said, Oh, it's good now, we'll just be a little church, be a little club. No, no, no. They're involved with the task of telling the world about Jesus. So they've continued their witness in Philippi. They have persevered in their prayers for Paul. They've sent money to support him in his ministry. All testifying to the importance of the priority of the gospel, the message of Jesus. Now when Paul thinks of all this, he thanks God and it gives him great joy. Now when we think about all that God is doing amongst us here, uh, the ministry that goes on, people coming, the gifts that people are using, uh, and so forth. Uh, the excitement of putting on staff, it's huge. It's a supernatural work of God, it really is. So, what do we ought to do? Well, we ought to thank God. We ought to thank God for, for gospel service together. We ought to thank God for this self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. Gospel service together and the joy that that brings. It's wonderful. All right, well, what else does Paul thank God for? Well, the third point on your little outline there, I think it's there, it's up on the screen, uh, is God's continuing work in their lives. So, verse six, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's the day when Jesus returns. Now, the New Testament is full of examples of people who have made questionable faith commitments. We know that's what they are, because such people do not persevere. In the parable of the sower, Jesus warns that there will be some who hear the word and at once receive it with joy, but since there's no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or comes or a bit of pushback in their faith comes or persecution comes, because of Jesus, they quickly fall away. Now, Jesus knew that sort of thing happens. They start by showing signs of life, but, well, they never produce any fruit. In other words, they never produce any uh, demonstration of God's work in their life. Not so the Philippians. Paul is convinced that they will persevere because he's convinced that God is persevering them. You see that? He has observed the good work that God began in, in them and is confident that God will finish it. Now, something I do love about this letter is the joy that we read in it. We've spoken about it a bit before. It's not a joy that comes from personal success, is it? It's not a joy that comes from some victory for our children on the sporting field, or, or on at school, or whatever it might be, or some new material possession I've, I've just purchased. Now, no, let's look closely. This joy comes, this joy that the apostle has, it comes from the Philippians themselves. God working in them. He uses language like "in my heart." long for affection. That's because of the Philippians themselves. God gives him that joy. See, Christian fellowship, the church, that's us, partnership in the gospel is what gives Paul the apostle such joy. Now, let me ask you an important question. I wonder if you or we could say the same thing. What gives us the most joy? And I reckon when we come to the answer to that question in our hearts, we'll probably get an insight into what matters most and what doesn't matter. Our priorities, don't you think? 3 John verse 4 says, and John's writing to his dear friend Gaius. uh, He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. He doesn't mean his family members, he means his church, that church. That's the joy of gospel-centred relationships. I'm going to share with you in a moment, too, uh, a great example of gospel-centred relationships and gospel-centred prayer as well. But it's got to be one of the greatest joys of the Christian life. If we take the Apostles' word seriously, if we take the word of God seriously to us today, that our brothers and sisters in Christ, with God our Father and Jesus our brother, if you like, That they're sticking with Jesus. That they're walking in the truth. They're they're, they're keeping at it. So, I'll ask you another question. What will you do, as God's church gathered here this morning, what will you do to ensure that that happens? That your brothers and sisters in Christ are sticking with him? What will you do to ensure that they're sticking with Jesus this morning? What will you do? Well, one thing you must do is pray. You must pray. So next, Paul gives an example of gospel-centred prayer where his prayers go through the lens of Jesus. And it's in verses 9 to 11. It's the type of prayer we ought to pray for each other. It's the type of prayer you ought to pray for your friends, your family, for me, for John O. So verse 9. And this is my prayer, he says, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So in the outline there, it says gospel-centred prayer. So Paul prays for their love to grow. You see, their their love may abound more and more. Love for God and love for each other. That's a good prayer to pray for the church, the people around you. But that love cannot grow without knowledge and depth of insight. Now, what does that mean? Well, I think that means that this is the knowledge of God. That is, growing in insight in his word and his ways, getting to know God better. And as we do that, we'll love more. As we know God more, that is, knowing God's love more, we'll love God's people more. Loving the way God loves. How does God love us? He loves us unconditionally. God loves us in a selfless way. We sit on the cross, active, it's sacrificing, it's unfaltering, it's un- unending. That's how God loves. Get to know God, we'll love each other that same way. And finally, notice there's this purpose to all this, to this prayer. And you see it right in verse 10. It's a so that statement. Uh, When you see a so that, you know it's the purpose or reason for. Okay, so verse 10, so that you may able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Fill with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God. So when we pray such a prayer, we're agreeing that the Christian life is not about keeping the status quo. We pray that our love would abound more and more. We pray that our knowledge of God would grow. So we pray, and we pray that for the glory of God. So that he'd be glorified, not, not me, no, for God to be glorified, for God's known to be out there. It's a prayer that causes the to advance the work of the gospel in our lives. And by asking for gospel fruit in our lives, what's that? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control, faithfulness, those things. And the ultimate purpose of this prayer is to bring glory to God, the God who saved us. What I'd love to do now, I want to share with you a day-to-day, real-life example of those two things, gospel-centred relationships or partnership and gospel-centred prayer, okay? Um, it's, it's longish, but it's worthwhile listening to. Some years back, um, actually for six years, I led a group of teenage boys in a weekly Bible study as part of a youth ministry. Youth ministry, Michelle and I both led, um, led, were involved in and led. Um, Michelle did the same thing with a group of girls. This group, small group of teenage boys, We met, uh, and and it grew to be a pretty big group in the end, but we met every Friday afternoon um, from year seven all the way through to year 12. It was just fantastic, and I'm still good friends with um, a lot of those guys. One of those boys is now a 39-year-old man, um, shows my age, um, and, and he has a wife and four kids. He went on to study at Bible College and was a missionary in South America. Until recently, when he... On a trip back to Australia about two years ago, about 18 months, two years ago, a life-threatening brain tumour was discovered at the base of his son Benji's skull. A couple weeks back, so uh, in July, Pete wrote... That's his name, uh, Pete. Pete wrote an article looking back on the early days of the diagnosis and those hospital visits. So some time has passed. um, He's now writing looking back. This is what he said. With all of that swirling around my head, uh, he's referring to hospital visits, treatment, blah, blah, blah. With all of that swirling around my head, I was walking with my other three children to the hospital. The silence was interrupted by a question from my eldest son, Sam. Daddy, is Benny going to die? I was paralysed for a moment. What should I say? What could I say? My seven-year-old son with his five-year-old sister listening, along with her seven-month-old sister... Had just put his finger on the stakes. They knew cancer was serious. They knew their brother was in, was in danger. They wanted to know what would happen. In, a moment, in that moment of paralysis, the Spirit gave me the verses that make up this week's fighter verse. Now, he's writing an article in this regular journal about fighter verses. It's a Christian publication. It's quite good. Anyway, here's this, this week's fighter verse, and then I'll go back to the letter. This week's fighter verse was um, Psalm 139, verse 15 and 16. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth... Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So, continue on. I looked into my son's eyes, my voice cracking, and said through tears, We don't know, Sammy, but what we do know is that God has numbered his days before Benny was even born, and we can trust him. Through the dark valleys of treatment that followed, that truth sustained our family. The God who knew Benjamin before he was born knew exactly how many days he would live. And as we saw glimmers of hope that the treatment was working, that truth continued to be our North Star. Our confidence was not in great doctors, effective medicine, or in a brave three-year-old little boy. Our confidence was in the goodness of God of the universe who not only had numbered Benjamin's days, he had numbered the days of his one and only son to defeat sin and offer us new life. In his kindness... God chose to heal Benjamin. So there's a before and after picture about a two-year gap. The disease and treatment has left a lasting mark on our six members of our family. And even though monitoring and recovery is ongoing, we are so thankful thankful that our sick little three-year-old is strong, is a strong little four-year-old, who will take every opportunity to point out that his fifth birthday is just around the corner, July 21. Um, (laughs) That was just last week. Anyway, that's the end of that little bit of the article. Let me now read to you one of Pete's earlier journal entries. So this is how I've been praying for him, just been following his journal. And this is one of his very early entries uh, written at the time of that conversation with his kids and also those early diagnoses and so on, on his way to the hospital and blah, blah, blah. Uh, This is what he says. Life for us right now is a hard daily slog. Waking hours generally involve not being able to predict what the next hour holds living life on hospital time. Nights are hard, as Mel, that's his wife, and I alternate between Ben's bedside and and the hospital at Ronald McDonald House. We never know exactly how Ben will be responding to his treatment. There are so many micro ups and downs in a day. It's exhausting. We rejoice in small victories, but we're also beaten down by regular defeats. Those are statements of fact. We certainly still see the beauty of what God is doing in this dark valley. And I believe the Lord is working to give us the eyes to see that beauty is more clearly that beauty more clearly because of the darkness. But just know that as you pray with and for our family during this season, we need you for the long haul. It's fairly important uh, sorry, it's fairly often that one of us thinks we just can't imagine how we sustain this for eight months of treatment, or whatever lies beyond that. And those are actually moments of clarity, not despair. The truth is we can't do it. We need God. We need his people. Are you getting a hint of gospel partnerships here? Day-to-day, gospel partnerships at work are gospel-centred relationships. So then he says, so pray for us. Pray with us. Rejoice with us. And just know that behind regular updates and prayer requests is a family that is struggling in the trenches and thankful for your partnership. It's a great example, isn't it? Not only do we see the joy of gospel-centred relationships, but uh, listen to the next section. I'm almost done. The next section of Pete's journal entry detailing what he would like us to pray for. So this is two years ago when I was praying for him. This is one of the earlier journal entries. I was just praying through the stuff for him. Um, It's a great example of gospel-centred prayer in the midst of incredible pain and distress. So he asked, it's a bit of a list, he asked, pray, uh, please pray specifically for these areas. So strength for Benji. So he says, that, and these are prayers, by the way, that were answered uh, by God. doesn't always end that way. Um, my brother works in, as a paediatrician uh, at Royal North Shore Hospital in Sydney. It doesn't always work this way, um, tragically. But this time it did, and we're very thankful for that. So he says, pray for uh, strength for Benji. The side effects of the chemo are severe, and that will be our journey over the next two weeks. Pray for the strength and rest of, for him. Praise God for his resilience. He's been incredible. Uh, strength for Melanie and me. It has been a gruelling month in the hospital where there are many more over, over the horizon. Pray for wisdom as we balance all the changes and decisions affecting our family. Our school. Pray for protection from fear and loneliness for Sam and Maddie, that's two of the other kids. Pray that God would give them friends and help them to adjust well to their new school. Pray for understanding and supportive teachers. Alexandra, that's the youngest little baby. Uh, praise God for her happy and easygoing presence. She's a joy to all when she visits the hospital and she really is doing well with all the changes. Please continue to pray. Uh, She will settle and be able to sleep overnight. Um, Church. I was able to take the big kids and Alex to Northmead Anglican last Sunday. They were very welcoming and offered us many supports, especially as we adjust to school. Please uh, pray, pray for ongoing connections there. And then Witness. In our early days at the hospital, Sam asked if we were still missionaries. My response was, of course, buddy. But right now we're missionaries at Ronald McDonald House and the hospital. <laughs> Pray for ongoing connections with the many hurting families in crisis that we encounter here. Pray also for witness as we engage with the staff of the hospital. It's gospel-centered prayer, isn't it? It's a great example. And gospel-centered relationships. is not only people in North Anglican were praying for them, but I was praying for them in Robbo. Uh, I actually shared this with Burrowang a couple of years back when it first happened. And we prayed for them then. Uh, and, um, and there were people in South America praying for them. Great example of gospel-centered partnership, gospel-centered relationships. How about we pray for them? I'm going to give thanks for them and uh, for God's healing in, in Benji's life. There's a lot to go. All the ongoing tests are still happening at the moment um, I pray for that. And then, I'll, like I do each Sunday, um, I'll offer a chance to share anything. If we've got a, a um, word of encouragement or a question or anything like that, I'll, I'll give an opportunity to see if we can get an answer. If you want something cleared up, we'll have a question and answer time. All right, let's pray. Father, we, um, we thank you for uh, your goodness to us. We thank you, God, that you love us dearly, that you sent your only son to die for us. We thank you for Pete and Mel and the family. Um, we thank you for their example of, um, of prayer, gospel-centred prayer that, that sees all things through the lens of Jesus. We thank you for the example they set to us. Um, we know that that was a very difficult time and still is in some ways and we pray for them, give them strength um, and Lord we um, thank you for Benji that, is, that, that the last scans that, that were just last week were clear. And um, he's got to keep doing uh, testing and so forth. But we pray that he would continue to grow to a strong, healthy uh, healthy boy and that you'd be, um, that cancer would not be seen again. Lord, we pray for us as a church. We give you great thanks that you're working amongst us and that good things, great things are happening um, by your spirit. Uh, and so, Lord, we, um, we thank you for the relationships that we share. And we pray that we would see, indeed, see all things through the gospel, through the good news that Jesus has died for us, and the love that you've shown to us through through that. Um, thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.